We are in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I titled the, the, this series uh, The Gospel for All the People, because as we get into the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that Jesus didn't leave anybody out. Last week we talked about the upside-down king. This week I want to talk to you about the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Father, we ask you for your special touch on our lives to proclaim your message. You would confirm your word in our hearts, our minds. Lord, we believe you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. May your kingdom be revealed today and glorify your great name and your amazing wisdom as to why you brought the kingdom the way you brought the kingdom. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why was Jesus sent? He said to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to know right up front, I need to teach today. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. The primary way that I pastor our church, the primary way, is to feed you the Word of God, equipping you for the work of the ministry and to build your faith. When he comes back, I want him to find me uh, giving his servants food at the proper time. So I want to teach you, though, today. So I'm praying that as I teach, the preach will not go away, right? I'm, I'm praying that, uh, that uh, my goal, though, my goal, though, today, is that you go home with a new desire to learn not only what the kingdom of Jesus is all about, but also to be aware of what it's not about. And we're going to dive really deep into this concept of the kingdom of God as we dive into Luke. But for today, I want to take you back to the context, because context is so important. You know what? I heard somebody preach last week, myself, the Bible can never mean what it never meant. So what it means to Luke is what it means today. Even if somebody else comes along and says they have a different word and a deeper revelation from the Holy Spirit, no you don't. Because the Holy Spirit led Luke and led John and led Peter and led Paul in their time when the world was speaking a Greek language all over the Roman Empire to create the words and they can only mean what they meant and our goal, our job is to find the original meaning of what it meant because the Bible will only mean what it means and never mean what it never meant. When we come to this time in the life of Jesus before he comes on the scene, they have it all figured out as to what the kingdom of God is like and what the king's gonna do and what the Bible says. 400 years of silence, though, passes by from the time when Malachi, the prophet of God, said, see, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and then the Lord will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight is coming. And then the Lord goes on and says, I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son. And you will again, notice, you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. The day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble, 
But you, those of you will rise because the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. And then he says, and I will send Elijah before the coming of the great day of the Lord. So by the time of Jesus, the expectation of the coming kingdom of God was also seen as this term, the day of the Lord, when it would be a culmination. And the people of Israel believed that God was coming into the world as a king or sending a king who would set the world right, deliver Israel from bondage, destroying the enemies of Israel, righting the wrongs, making the world right. And that's true. But right in what way? Destroy what enemy? Right what wrongs? The kingdom they expected was not the kingdom Jesus was bringing. This baptizer on fire out in the desert, out in the wilderness named John was powerful and he was thundering his message. But he said that one was coming greater than him. He wasn't even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And he was going to come with a baptism of the Holy Spirit, like Joel says. He was going to come with a winnowing fork in his hand, like Ezekiel said, separating. He was going to take the wheat, put it in the barn, and, and with unquenchable fire, burn up the chaff. And they were astounded. And he said, it's time. It's time. The priest from the temple came and said, are you Elijah? They were conditioned for this moment to be that. John was powerful, so powerful that even the priests from the temple came out to hear him. And the Roman soldiers were so shaken up that they said, what should we do? John the baptizer was like a virile rock star. And he had so much truth in his words. But how they would be fulfilled and when in their entirety, not even John understood. Because this kingdom like its king, would be upside down. Upside down. He would not lead them in a struggle for independence against Rome. He would not set up a throne of an earthly kingdom in Israel as the Jews expected. But the Old Testament scriptures did point to the kind of kingdom Jesus was about to bring. But most of the people were so blinded by their expectations, think of that, so blinded by their expectations and traditions that they got from their Bibles. That's why Jesus said so many times, you have heard it said, but I say to you, right? You have heard it said. But I say to you. See, the people, when Jesus came, had been concrete in their hope, but unable to see their scriptures in a different light, God's light. Here's what they did. We don't do this, but here's what they did. They projected their own hopes onto the scriptures and therefore could not accept Jesus. Some of them had a hope from the scriptures that made them believe 
that there would be a political restoration of independence and the Messiah would crush the oppressive Roman Empire. There were these people in Israel known as the Zealots. Jesus even picked one of them to be one of his disciples. The Zealots were, were, multi, they were fervent nationalists within Israel. And by the time that Jesus came, they were ready to take it in their own hands if God wouldn't put out his hand. Others in the nation, like the Sadducees, did you ever read about them? I heard an old pastor say one time years ago, the, the Sadducees uh, had error toward the Scripture and the, and, and the power of God, and they didn't believe in the resurrection, and the old guy said, that's why they were sad, you see. Now, that's not really what Sadducee means. The Sadducees were a liberal wing of the, of the, of the Jewish faith who lined up with the king, Herod, and his lot. They realized that they weren't going to bring Rome down. They knew that was a pipe dream, so they mixed in. They said, yes, sir, Caesar, we're with you, we're supportive, and what will you give us for being so? That was the Sadducees. And that was the, uh, the, the king, Herod, at the time. Here's the thing. That was the view of what was going on when Jesus of Nazareth comes. So accepting Jesus of Nazareth would have been like trying to fit a piece of a puzzle from another puzzle into the puzzle where it did not belong. Have you ever tried to do that? You wouldn't do that, would you? I wouldn't do that. You're doing a puzzle right? And you're short a piece. You don't go, hey, let's go get that other puzzle of Mickey Mouse and see if that fits in, right? Well, that's what they were doing, and that's why Jesus' puzzle piece did not fit into God's plan, because they'd been taught God's plan. They had studied it. They knew it. They had said, and they had heard, and then this person comes along and says, but I say to you, and to hear it, and we've read it, is flipping it upside down, right? The upside down kingdom. I want to talk to you this morning about what the kingdom of God that Jesus brought and talked about would not be like. First of all, the kingdom will not be a country. It will be in the heart. Jesus is standing in Jerusalem, Israel, Luke 13, and he gives this shocking statement, picture the context, picture the mindset, picture the emotional pathos of anticipation, and Jesus looks out at that crowd and he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you, there wasn't a Gentile in the group, Moses-loving, Bible-believing, you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves ready, thrown out? What? Abraham is our father. We have his blood in our blood. He's the father of our great nation. But they forgot that God also said he'd be the father of a multitude of nations. All, we, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not because of nationality of Abraham, not because of Isaac's nationality, not because of Jacob's, 
But by the faith of Abraham, he was declared righteous. By the faith in the faithful one who was revealing his plan at the time of Abraham, Abraham put his faith in the plan revealed, and that was called righteous, right? Israel would be a people of faith, as it always had been. But people in the nation weren't always of faith, were they? God started to unveil his kingdom within the cocoon of the promised remnant of faith in the nation of Israel to bring about a metamorphosis of change. And Jesus tried to describe that by saying, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You don't take a piece of an old garment and put it on a new one. Never match, right? But here's the thing, the first group of spirit-born followers of Jesus were almost completely Jewish. But the nation, let me say it this way, the Jesus nation would not be made up of nationalists, although there would be nationalists in the Jesus nation, would be made up of spiritual people, many nations. The kingdom of God would not be a country. It would not be geographical. It would be a spiritual reign of God, a kingdom of people born not of human descendants from flesh and blood, but a kingdom made alive by a new birth, right? Born of the Spirit into a new community of faith, which Peter goes on to call a holy nation. The kingdom of God will not be a country. It will be contained in the heart. Those of the Jewish nation who rejected the one Abraham spoke of, Moses pointed to, the prophets announced and described for centuries. Jesus is looking out and warning them that those who reject him, even though they were natural ancestors of Abraham himself, would gnash their teeth in envy, grief, and eternal loss. Man, if we'd have been there, we might not have been able to believe it. We might not have been able to put the puzzle piece into our puzzle. Why would they be cast out? Because they would shut out the king of the kingdom they wanted. Then Jesus adds these words in the 30th verse. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. What? This is all about Israel, it's all about us. I am not preaching to you an anti-Semitic message. I am not blasting Israel or the Jews. The greatest friend the nation of Israel should have is the Jesus follower. Why? For from them come the roots of our faith, the patriarchs, the word of God. The gospel went to them first, the gospel Paul went to them first, why they were the olive tree and their branches reached us. The gospel was sent to them first, why? Because from them came Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, King David, Daniel, and all the others, Ruth, all of them, the law, the tabernacle, the testimony. And he came to them, John tells us, to be received. Isaiah warned 600 years before that, that there would be people who would turn away from him, but not all would turn away. 
For not all in the nation did reject him. To those who believe, we're going to see him all through Luke. The, in, the real in people who were out, right? We talked about it last week. The lowest and the most wretched in the nation, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The kingdom would be theirs in an incredible, dynamic way. The nationalists would miss it. Not because they were nationalists, but because they were nationalists in their view of the plan of God. He came to their nation, but they couldn't see what he brought. They couldn't hear what he was saying. Yet to the poor and the lowly, and Luke says, the common people heard him gladly. They would find the treasure of treasures, joy, unspeakable and full of glory. The upside down kingdom of Jesus would not be a country, it would be in the heart. Second, the kingdom will not be easy to observe. It will be hidden. So only those who want it will receive it. What? God in his wisdom in his determinate counsel before the beginning of time, Jesus said that, chose to reveal the kingdom in such a manner that only those who were hungering for it would see it and only those willing to want it would get it. It would not come visibly as they expected. It would not manifest just like, ta-da! It would take a spiritual place through a spiritual change that took place in a heart in order to see the kingdom of God happening in the world. Remember when Jesus finished the parable of the sower about the four types of heart soils that hear the message of the kingdom? Three out of four don't get it. One didn't get it. The other two say they got it, but they didn't last in it. Only one out of four got it. And, 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 and the disciples say, explain to us this parable. And he says this, read it closely. The knowledge of the secrets, secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Why? Listen to this. Is this your Jesus? I thought Jesus just bowed down to anybody's whim. I thought the only thing Jesus is is kind. I thought you don't even really have to follow him and you still get in if you just kind of like sort of do. I preach in parables. This is the Jesus of the Bible. I preach in parables though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. What? Jesus is saying as a fulfillment of what Isaiah saw in the sixth chapter when he saw the Messiah's king in his glory and, and, and God told him to go out and preach and harden their hearts as he preached. And Isaiah warned that there'd be a day in the day of Messiah that would be the same. God would do the same now that he did then. Now listen, listen, listen. Listen to what I'm not saying. The kingdom will not be easy to observe. It will be hidden. As, so only those who want it will get it. But here's the thing about God. If you didn't want it, God would still tell it to you. 
God is so merciful. Listen to this. Knowing in his foreknowledge the ones who will receive and won't, knowing the ones who won't, he still gives the message as he did to Pharaoh. He's allowing everybody to hear it in his mercy, not knowing that many of the, knowing that many of the hearers will not really hear. God is so merciful. He is giving everybody a chance to hear. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. But do you realize that the more you hear and the more you turn off what you hear, the more your heart gets hard and your ears go dim? He gives everybody a chance to hear. But the kingdom will not become an observation and it will not just pop. So only those who really want it. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? Here's another one. The kingdom will be present only in and around Jesus. Thank you very much. This is, the temple was not the kingdom of God. Israel was not the kingdom of God and the church is not the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. The church is not the kingdom of God. The church is an inviter for people to go into the kingdom of God. And there is a church within a church around the world, meaning there are people in the church who aren't really in the kingdom. Just leave that alone. The temple had been a tool of the kingdom. It was a place representing something of the king in the kingdom until it wasn't. Do you know the kingdom was with Moses in Egypt? The kingdom was with Daniel in Babylon when the temple in Jerusalem was torn to the ground? Do you know that Nehemiah and Ezra brought the kingdom with them to Israel? Why? For the kingdom is where the activity of the king is. That's the only place the kingdom of God is. The kingdom is where the activity of the king is. So now, so now, the kingdom comes in Jesus. In Jesus. The church is not the kingdom. We're a messenger. We are to be an example of what the kingdom of God is like. But we can't build the kingdom. I've heard preachers say, we're just building the kingdom, brother. We're just building the kingdom. We can't build the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom has been built since the foundation of the world. Did you ever hear that before? We can't build the kingdom. The kingdom is a realm founded since the beginning of the world. We invite people in it. We can't build the church. I said, we can't build the church. I'm just building a church, brother. Just gonna build a church. What are you doing? We're building a church. Well, Jesus said, I build the church, not me. Jesus said, I will build my church. We are to be built up in the spirit. We are to be built up in the word. We are to be built up in the words of Christ to dwell in us richly so that we can be an expression 
of the kingdom. God does the building, God does the growing, God does the changing, and we can be a people not just to show our nation, but we are called to show all nations. I said, we are called to show all nations what the world was supposed to be, what the world can be, and what it will be when our king returns. Get this one in verse 20. Once, picture this moment. The pic, picture, Jesus has their heads flipping. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, now let's picture that. I mean, he's doing all this stuff, and they know something's going on, and the anticipation still because the piece of the puzzle is not in. What is the piece of the puzzle? Deliverance from Rome. What's the piece of the puzzle? We're going to rule. Throne in Israel, we're going to, you know, it's us. Everyone else is welcome in, but it's going to roll through us. Right? And so they're saying, when, Jesus? Once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus says, the, camp, the coming, the parousia, the, the appearance and the way you're looking for it is not something that can be observed. Are you reading the Bible with me? Nor will people say, here it is, there it is, because. Now, who is saying it? Who's saying this? Jesus. Here he says this. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, wherever I am is where the kingdom is. And right now the kingdom of God is being offered to you in me. Because the kingdom of God is only where Jesus is. So he tells this Pharisee. Now listen, Pharisees get a bad rap. I've rapped them so hard. It's probably a projection of my own guilt because I look like one sometimes. But anyway, do you know there were a lot of good Pharisees? They weren't all bad men. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You know that? Do you know what John's gospel says? John's gospel says that many Pharisees believed in Jesus but were afraid to let it be known. Why? Because the Pharisees had great political, financial, cultural power in Israel, right? They controlled who was in and who was out. So if you didn't line up with the Pharisaical plan, if you didn't force that piece of puzzle in the Pharisaical puzzle of how the kingdom would be, you would be expelled from the place of honor as a Pharisee. You would be expelled from temple worship, priestly duties. You'd be expelled from the synagogue. In other words, you would be a nobody. All because of what you lined up with in your faith toward Jesus. And you know why John said they didn't stand up for Jesus? Answer, because they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. So maybe it was a Nicodemus-like Pharisee who said, when? He really wanted to know. When? I love this. This, I'm sorry, there's a couple verses I didn't put in, but just go with me. You'll find them. They're in the thing called the Bible. You'll find them. Remember when Jesus goes to Samaria, where the kingdom could never be, and he's standing at a well, waiting at a well. He's thirsty, and a woman comes, who's a Samaritan woman, to the well. It's on Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim has a history. It's where they apostatized from true temple worship and set up their own temple on a mountain. The rebellion of Jeroboam, which hurt Israel and they cursed it even to that day. That's where they were. 
And this man named Jesus is thirsty, and here comes a woman. They have a conversation. And then in the part of the conversation, she says, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Now listen, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews say it's in Jerusalem where we should worship, right? Remember, the kingdom will not be a place, it will not be a country, it will be hidden, and it will begin in the heart. That was the new thing that Isaiah and the prophets kept saying, forget the former things. We use that every time we uh, break up with somebody and we're looking for a new girlfriend, God's going to give it. Forget the former. That's not what that scripture means. Every time the church is flat, he's going to do a new thing, right? That's not what it means. What it meant was God, and this is scandalous, in a way, God wants you to forget all the ways that he parted seas, all those ways. Forget them. Don't forget what, I, what he did, but forget those ways. I'm going to do a new. Your puzzle won't fit me. You with me? Thanks, Roberta. Your membership is in good shape here. Where will the kingdom be located? Wherever the king is. Where's the king? Where's this woman? Listen. This woman is closer to the kingdom of God than the priests in the temple that day burning incense, praying prayers, and reading the law of Moses. For the kingdom of God is where Jesus is. And he said, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And then he says, an hour is coming and is now here. When, ready, the true worshipers will worship the Father, where? In spirit and in truth, in reality, honesty, transparency. Not in a city, not in a temple, not in a geographical locale, no. The Father is seeking, look, different, it's all different now, forget the four. The Father is seeking all to worship him this way. Why? Because God is spirit. Everywhere. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit, in their own spirit. Because that's where the kingdom is. And in truth. And she says, I know when the Messiah comes, because that's what they're waiting on, he's going to explain everything to us. And he says, I am Hmm, the kingdom will be present only in around Jesus. John the baptizer, nobody, nobody had a revelation like him. Jesus said the greatest prophet born of women, that includes most all, was John. He saw the dove come down. He heard the voice, this is my son. I, 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 there's something I love about this story that I always think about. When was it, when was it when John, I know he heard from his mom and dad, Gabriel stood in the temple, where? At the right side. Don't forget that. So when, if you want to show how super spiritual you are, tell somebody someday, I know what side that, uh, that gay. If you really want to show off, he was at the right side. Do you know that? Do you, you didn't know that? Hmm, you must not be as spiritual as me. But anyway, anyway, John, John, 
Somewhere along the line, he's reading Isaiah's scroll. A voice says, cry out. And something inside of him, along with what he reads next, says, what shall I cry out? That's how I think it happened. That he began to have a self-realization that he was written in the scroll. That he was to go stand on a high mountain. That he was to make the crooked way straight. To level the high places and exalt the low places. He knew it. He knew that a king would reign in righteousness. He knew Isaiah as well as Isaiah. Because he knew the same author. He was him. And it was time and he knew it was time. And the spirit of God from him was explaining it was the time. But John didn't know about the all of the time. And he's arrested and he's in prison. That doesn't fit. Because the king's coming. He's going to split the difference between the wicked and, and the righteous. He's going to blaze a torch on the oppressor. And Israel's going to have her king. And he's in prison. And he's prayed. I'm sure he prayed. He probably quoted the 91st Psalm. He probably quoted, the, he probably quoted Psalm 23. He probably, he probably stood on the word of the prophetic promise given to him by God, not a preacher. And I'm not blaming John. Because he had the best view. Here's the point. This kingdom is so upside down, and this king is, that even we Bible scholars could possibly not just miss it an inch, but a hundred million miles. Go ask him, should I look for someone else? At that very time, Jesus is so wonderful. At that very time, what time? When John the baptizer is struggling to believe in the plan of God, struggling over what kind of hope to have hope in this Jesus for. Should I hope in Jesus at all? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? Do you know that you can reach a place that even if you see a dove and even if you hear a voice, life can get so upside down that you wonder, even when you know that it was God, you get in a place where you go, I don't know. I got a friend right now who I've known since a kid, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, used to give prophetic utterances in the church as a kid. And right now in his life, he's way past John's question. And I've watched people trying to correct him. And there's a reason that we can do that. We gotta watch how we do it. But here's what I know. The Jesus that touched you the first time has never lost sight of you in your hard time. Come on, somebody. That's the time to do a Holy Ghost dance right there. We could do a, that's not even in the script. I'm even willing to go past time to let you know that. Jesus says to him, you know what he does? He triggers John in the scriptures that God showed him. Go back and say, I'm curing diseases. I'm healing sicknesses. Driving out evil spirits. I'm giving sight to the blind. Go back and report it. The good news is being preached to the poor, and oh, add this one thing. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble when my puzzle piece won't fit in their puzzle known as the plan of God. This is an upside down kingdom, and all of us ought to tremble if John the baptizer can get that lost that only Jesus can find him. Don't be so slick, Tim McGregor. 
in your all that you know. It's what I've learned after confessing that I realized I finally didn't know it all that is starting to make a difference in my life. Proof of the kingdom everywhere, but the kingdom will only manifest the way Jesus wants to manifest it. The kingdom will only manifest where he is and only manifest the way he wants it to manifest. And he wasn't coming to rock Caesar. He was coming to hopefully, through patience and long-suffering in him and his followers carrying a cross, to rock the hearts of people who knew Caesar. Come on, somebody. The power of paradox when something else is going on that represents something that you know is what it should be going on, but it's not the way that you thought it would be going on. That's the power of paradox, and Jesus was all about it. Follow with me. There would be a tension of the presence of the future always in the not yet part in his day and in ours. We gotta get that or we'll fall. We gotta get that or we'll get disillusioned. We got to get that or we'll think we've missed God. We didn't miss God. We missed our view of God. Jesus is not bringing certain manifestations of the kingdom. He's showing a paradox. Listen, he didn't come and say the poor wouldn't be poor anymore. He said the poor are blessed. TV preachers. Jesus said, the way to life is death. The way to life is death. Not when you die, die when you live, so you can really live. That's a paradox. The servants are the only true free people. Don't you feel like high-fiving me? I feel like high-fiving you right now. The servants are the only truly free people. What kind of freedom? I have come to free, but I have come to give you a freedom that's forgiveness. I've come to offer you the greatest emancipation you know or don't even know. The forgiveness of the toxicity of your soul in your sins. I've come to emancipate you from that. I have come to free you from your sins. Go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what he told them to do. A freedom that's fashioned by mercy that he's willing to give out to everybody, wherever the sun shines, wherever the sun shines, wherever it rains. Be like my father. He's kind even to the ungrateful. He's good even to the wicked. What? How's that fit in the Malachi 4 burning, flazing, fiery, slashing it? John didn't even say that. You with me? I wish I did have... How do you do this? The kings in this kingdom won't rule over people. They'll serve people and lift them up. The rich in the kingdom won't be defined by material wealth, but by the richness of their spirit with the manifestation of joy. The whole Gospel of Luke is just one joy song after another. And the shepherds didn't have anything. And they were the first to get into this incredible joy. Didn't change their, 
It doesn't say that, and they left their job, and they went on the tour. And that one, Louis the shepherd, he lives in Malibu now. doesn't say that. Living his best life. Mary was a poor peasant girl. Joy, joy, joy. Zechariah and his old pregnant wife singing like crazy the joyous song of the coming of the Messiah. The liberation offered to people in this kingdom wouldn't be primarily national or political. It would be a freedom that offered a new kind of slavery, a new kind of slavery Jesus offered. Is that a paradox? Do you know what the word bondservant means? Slavery. Two-thirds of the Roman Empire filled with slaves, right? So this message was refreshing to hear that he was coming to emancipate them into something that even if the political climate didn't change, they would know freedom that even those in the great political side of things wouldn't know. It was a bond to God that came when the fire of his mercy and grace forged a soul of a sinner with the heart of a savior. And like the woman who poured it at his feet, right? She didn't go, I want to go to the bondservant conference. Give me a bondservant anointing. No, you know what happened to her? She was so desperately broken that she wanted to see. She was so desperately needing to hear something that was outside of the frame of every word that was spoken on her by those who were suffocating people in the fence of Judaism. She wanted to hear something and she heard about this one who welcomed Come on now. We don't do that. There's no LGBTQ folks feeling welcomed here today. Right? There's no African Americans in our city beating the door down to get into our church, our kingdom beating you to the reservation button. I'm not blaming us. That's the way it is everywhere. Everywhere. Because our kingdom is too right side up. It's too right side up. It's too right side up. If this row right behind Ollie got filled with people notoriously not just jealous like Christians can be, but perverted. And then, and, and before they said the sinner's prayer and before they went to the altar, for some weird reason, some of them started lifting their hands to worship God. Would you walk out? Would you make sure you straightened them out at the end of the service? Let me tell you, I would probably have that in me thinking something weird like that. It doesn't say that Jesus did that. It doesn't say he condoned it. You know what he called them? You know what he called people who were sinners? You know what he called them? He called them sinners. But for some reason they went, <laughs> where are you eating next? I don't get, do you get that? You know why I can't get that? Because I'm in a right side up kingdom. It's amazing what the gospel will do when you let it read you instead of read it. I don't know the answers to those questions, but I know this. It is so scandalous, the Jesus that lived in this world, that we, 
should be very careful before we say we'd be one of the 12. I don't have answers for the things I just said. And I didn't say what some of you might think I said or go looking for a writer church than this one. I'm just saying, yeah, Roberta and I will be here. <laughs> there would be a jubilee that was going to come for the crippled, for the blind, for the lame, for the bruised. And this jubilee would have nothing to do with money. This jubilee would have all to do with forgiveness of spiritual debts that they could not pay. And Jesus didn't only say, well, I'll put you on a payment plan. He said, I will pay it in full and you can walk without the power of that guilt on your life. Jubilee has come. The year of the Lord's favor is here. Not just for Nazareth, come on, I'm almost done. Not just for Capernaum, not just in Samaria, but in Athens, Greece, and in Rome, and someday in Casablanca, and another day in New Delhi, in Thailand, in Tehran. Imagine it, in Saudi Arabia, and along the Underground Railroad, and the Mississippi Banks, and the Georgia Cotton Fields, an emancipation greater than the one Lincoln talked about. The kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Didn't say joy in your church, said joy in the Holy Spirit. But it's even better when you got joy in your church. You know what the greatest joy in the church would be? Is what the greatest joy in heaven is. When the angels of God rejoice over a sinner that repents. In order to have sinners wanting to come to a right side up church, we got to get flipped. And I haven't even scratched the surface. And I don't even know what surface to scratch. And I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm finished this morning. Because we're going to be in Luke till we're done. I want everybody to stand. If you're watching online, live, and you're coming to life, if you're watching online somewhere in the future, maybe it's March whatever, and somehow or another you were trying to get on ESPN whatever, and you clicked and ended up at LOH whatever, and this guy with a California, and you started listening. Maybe you're from another kind of uh, sexual orientation community. I hope I didn't offend you, I didn't want to. I'm trying to make a point within our own community. And I don't know the answers to all the questions that some of you have even asked me. I don't know the answers. I know what the Bible says, and I've told some of you what the Bible says. It's clear as a bell. But with that said, with that said, there is a Jesus that I know of, and I know, but I don't know him the way he is. I know him. He knows me. And I know of his ways, but I am not the expert on the heart of Jesus. But what I see in the Gospels and what I see in the book of Acts and what, and what he came to do, if it was fully released and we allowed him to release it toward us, there isn't a church 
in our city or our county it would look anything like it looks right now. None out of none. And we wouldn't be compromising truth. We'd be living in it and experiencing it. I don't know the way to that place. But I know the way toward the way to that place. And it's through this gospel to all people and the Jesus of it. And so, Lord, we just get on our knees before you like Joshua did when he came strutting in after some victories and looked at you and said, are you for us or against us? And you said, neither. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man with a stunted brain. I'm a man with leaven in my soul along with liberty. As a man that you're using today to break up on fallow ground, maybe even unintentionally to cause a scandal by what I said. I only care if that offended you. I didn't mean to do that. What my hope is, Lord, is that I would find you. As George Harrison would sing, I really want to see you. I really want to know you. I really want to be with you. So we pray that our church would be that. And not just our church. I pray that every church would be that. There's a church I rode by this morning that has a sign on their marquee talking about God wanting us to stand up against our enemies. And I rode by there and I thought, what in the world does that really mean to them? Who's our enemies? What enemies? Stand up for what? No more of this, he said in the garden. And so we just come before you in humility and hunger. Is that song we did earlier? So that when we pour out whatever we pour out at your feet, it wouldn't come from works or have to or need to or trying to work you up to be here when you want to be here more than we do. But God, that it would be beautiful. It would be worship. And it would draw people into this upside down kingdom. That's all I have to say. That's all I know to say. You're the God who can take our clay efforts and make gates beautiful. And I ask you to do it today, but not just today, but as we go, mess with us. Mess with us. Break our puzzle up and put yours together.